Hello and welcome to Court Games, a Legend of the Five Rings podcast, funded by the Legend of the Five Rings Community Discord Patreon. This podcast will focus on the role-playing game stories and lore for Legend of the Five Rings. I'm Kova. I'm Kikita Kaori. What do we got today? Uh, this week we have an in-depth review of the new book Celestial Realms, which is all about, well, the Celestial Realms, the metaphysics, the magic of Rokugan, and uh, look at the Phoenix Clan, and all sorts of other fun stuff. We will also have a quick review of Wheel of Judgment, which is the adventure that goes with it, and possibly an even quicker review of Deathly Turns, which is the downloadable supplement. So, shall we get started? Shall we get started? All right, buckle in. Um, this is going to be pretty in-depth review, so uh, I, I guess we can start with Celestial Realms. The first section of Celestial Realms uh, has description of the realms and is also about the Phoenix Clan. So it's both of those combined together. So it all starts with a really sad intro fiction of a Shikinja who sacrifices their assistant's love. Uh, and also the Centipede intro fiction also has a young uh, trans woman. So FFG is really working hard to make uh, LGBT inclusive fiction in the recent books. And this one and Courts of Stone both definitely focus on those yeah, I mean, not not. I was not just a a young trans woman, but it seems she's referred to as Lady Moshi. Yes, possibly the person in charge. Yeah, yeah, yeah entirely possible. Yeah, um, you have a breakdown of each realm. So there's Tengoku, which is heaven; Yomi, the realm of your honored ancestor; Chikushodo, which is the realm of uh, animal spirits; Meido, which is the realm of the dead, or the wait the waiting realm, technically speaking; uh, Gakido, which is the realm of hungry spirits, and so on and so on and so on. Uh, some of the uh, information is already known. Um, how did you find that? I really liked that section a lot. Um, it does have geography later on uh, with various places in these realms. Uh, it does have some wonderful locations. So if you happen to be cruising around Tengoku, you can go to you know sightseeing. Um, and has some descriptions of various important denizens like Amaterasu and MOO, and it has adventure seeds for each realm. So I, I liked that. Um, I liked that they described who the Kitsu were as guardians of Tengoku, who sometimes come to Earth and can possess their descendants to the point where their descendants look like a cat person <laughs> when they are possessed. Thus explaining why sometimes you see certain LCG cards show up with cat people on them, even though there are no cat people. As such, yeah. Well, apparently there are, or at least circumstances where people look that way. So I'm sure it'll make some people very happy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, there looks to be a lot of interesting things in there. Uh, the Shinigami, the Spirits of Death. Who give monks of MO um, their power? That sounds very interesting. The, the relationship between Daikoku and spirits in Gakido and Jizo to those in Toshigoku. Oh. Jizo being the small statues that you see everywhere. 
Right, and the fortune of compassion. So, like, Daikoku is throwing out coins because spirits in Gakido eat gold. And then Daikoku is throwing coins out uh, all the time so that the spirits in Gakido, uh, while they don't get satisfied, some of them turn away from the coins, realizing, and then they are saved. So Daikoku thinks it's worth it to just throw out gold. And Jizo is, like, this fortune of compassion. He's always, like, ferrying people away from Toshigoku so they don't go there necessarily. I liked that. <laughs> and I believe uh, Ryoshin, the 10th Kami, gets a mention. Yep, he shows up. He's guarding the uh, gateway between uh, Jikoku and uh, Meido. So. Okay. Very cool. Nice, nice. He's got a job. <laughs> you know, when you're dead, you gotta have something to do. Well, boredom is the characteristic trait of Mado, so that's true. That's true. Uh, so, that, do they have rules for getting from one place to another? Yeah, with holy places or. or places where there's connections between the worlds that that shows up so that's that's what you need as a game master um let's see there's as well as all of this focus on realms there's a section on fortunes and fortune worship um one of the things it has in there is a better explanation on kishoten so in the core rule book there are eight great fortunes and uh and the in the Emerald Empire, there are seven great fortunes. And the difference is Kishoten. Uh, Kishoten, and so this book attempts to reconcile the difference where it says, uh, Kishoten was a forgotten fortune for many, many centuries. Um, and then since the dragon have this birth rate crisis that has been happening over the last uh, you know, 100 years or so, they have resurrected and kind of promoted Kishoten into the eighth great fortune because they're trying to do that to resolve their birth rate crisis, that she is the uh, fortune of fertility, you know, childbirth, that sort of thing. The Phoenix are okay with this because they know that she was like way back in history forgotten. The Crane and Crab are... And unicorn, they're kind of oblivious. Um, they, they, they don't care. One way or another, it's like, it's another fortune, sure. Uh, we'll celebrate whoever. The lion and scorpion see this. Well, the lion are resistant to it because they don't like change overly much. Uh, and the scorpions see it as the dragon making a bit of a power move. It's kind of like all the clans have different perceptions about whether this is really a eighth fortune or not so that's cool okay that's cool um i, I like the another thing which i think a lot of gm's going to want uh types of shrines layouts of shrines what's what goes in and what goes on inside a shrine and uh they got also got some descriptions of many of the primary shrines to the great kami so um hida and and bayushi a lot of people are going to like that. Shrine to Hante, all, all those kind of lovely places, which I think people want in their game. So we'll certainly, certainly are going to want to know what they're like. 
Yeah, and then there's a section on religious cults. So it has the nature, beliefs, practice, who is recruited, how the emperor's view, an NPC, adventure seats, both for a cult of Lord Moon and for blood speakers. They do have uh, an interesting tidbit in there where, you know, people who have birthmarks or other odd things are considered moon people. And they come to the earth from the moon in their moon kabune and... Yes, you can play a Sailor Moon campaign. Anyway, so that's the first uh, first part of. <laughs> and so we, yeah, and then the next section is the Phoenix Clan itself, uh, which is traditional for these books to have a bit on the clan. Um, the maps look lovely, I have to say. As always, one one of the constant yeah. things. Lovely maps. Yeah, this one was particularly gorgeous. Um, so the one thing I... So the Phoenix Clan in particular, I noted for this write-up, had very, very little um, lore for the Phoenix. Right. I tried to intersperse some in the stories, but it, it, it only really had kind of almost tangentially the, the story for the for Sheba kneeling. Um there's no mention in the book at all of Asawa being the thunder or the Black Scrolls. And these are very fundamental stories to the Phoenix. So it was like, if I was wanting to know the lore, the story behind uh, behind anything in the Phoenix and see how it changed between here and Old 5R, this is not going to have that right, information right. for you, unfortunately. So. Do you think it gives a reasonable instruction for people who don't know the Phoenix too well? See, I, I'm very much a person. I don't want to know Phoenix are humble or arrogant or stuff. I don't want that description um, because that sounds, t to me, that feels like uh, you're stereotyping. Right. You know, like we wouldn't say that about a nationality or a, fam a group here we we wouldn't group people in that fashion or we try not to cuz that's that's rude but on the other hand for me i get a lot of value out of knowing what stories are prized and what things are prized by that clan if i know that they greatly revere an ancestor who uh knelt rather than fought on a battlefield Right, that tells me a lot more about Phoenix being pacifists than say Phoenix are pacifists because obviously there's all kinds of Phoenix and some won't be pacifist. But you can say they revere this story of uh, you know person kneeling rather than fighting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that tells me more about the way that they are pacifist. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, no, no, you know, uh, I get that. Yeah. I, so for me, the lore is very important. It doesn't have to be a full-blown story necessarily, but uh, I want those uh, ideas of how young Phoenix are taught because I think that makes a, a stronger mm -hmm. idea of the difference between the clans. 
But uh, in this, each family does get a section on their reputation, their values, culture and traditions, their religious perspectives, Kurt's concerns, locations, an NPC, and adventure seat. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, because the families of the Phoenix are quite similar, uh, there's a lot of repetition in these sections because many things are shared between all the Phoenix families. Yeah. They do try and say the differences between them. It's just... So much is in common that uh, it ends up with quite a lot of repetition. But it does have the Kato, which is a new 5R. And it has the Kato mod, which we've always wondered about and haven't seen before. So there's a there's a picture of the Kato mod. And it's about the same for... There's no... In what little lore there is on these families, everything's the same uh, as it was in old 5R. Uh, except the Kato family, which is all... All new, and is especially necessary if you haven't uh, read the Sword and the Spirits novel in paperback, because that's where all the fiction on the Cato is. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I think the people who didn't get that, it's nice to have it uh, in some form, in another form that you can get. So, because if you weren't going to be getting the novella. Right. If you do want the old lore for the Phoenix or any of the clans, you want to look to the first uh, edition RPG, or I've got a lot of the stories, just the stories, uh, for the clans from first edition on the Winter Garden of the Kikita website. So so moving on from the Phoenix, um, the other thing that these sourcebooks tend to have is a minor clan. And as we've known for a while, it's going to be the Centipede, because they're a very magical clan. They are very closely tied to Amaterasu. Apparently, a lot of it's quite new. I mean, I'm not very familiar with the centipede of old, I, ha- I will have to admit. Um, I certainly didn't have much chance to get to know them before they were absorbed by the Mantis back in the day. But that's old law, which we don't need to care about. So, this, I mean, how is this for, would you say, for someone who wants to play a centipede character? I would say this is just really necessary for Centipede. This has got everything, everything Centipede. This has the, the depth of lore that the Phoenix section doesn't. So, uh, yeah, you're, you're set if you want to play a Centipede now. Uh, it's got the, their shrines, uh, their locations, their rituals. It's got a bunch of stories in there, too. This is odd. Um, as, as I said, I really like lore. I really like stories. They have a set, of, a really cute set of stories called Tracing the Path of Dragons. This is about the air dragon doing this thing. This is about the fire dragon doing this thing. The stories were adorable. <laughs> um, but uh, they don't seem to fit here at all because what they don't have is any description about how the centipede interact with the dragons. It's really about them and Amaterasu. They also don't give a ton of depth to the world because these stories are not... They give a little bit of personality of the dragons, but there's no way that in any of the whole book that the dragons interact with Ningendo. But, on the other hand, it's got a retelling, sort of, of the Amaterasu goes into her cave Story from Shintao has a version of that. So it was at least we know that that happened and we're going to try and incorporate it into L5R some way. It was just adorable stories, 
but uh, mis- misplaced, maybe in the wrong book, or um, you know, if 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 I'm crying for crying out for more Phoenix lore, this this wasn't that. <laughs> in, in, <laughs> you know? Yeah, interesting that it, it's kind of happening at this point in the book and not someplace else. But hey, there you go. Um, so they seem like it's they're a good fit. Do you reckon for the game? Yeah, I think they're a solid, uh, unique clan. Um, their abilities are super strong for an anti-Shadowlands game, um, but that also is kind of the game where they would shine, no pun intended. Uh, I like the fire that heals, uh, this alternate healing school. I like in general that uh, New 5R is bringing more healing-type schools into the game. So, Yeah, I, I mean, uh, my understanding is it, it's a lot of my fire will burn the bad people, but heal the good people, which I just find. I think that just sounds really cool. (laughs) And then the next section of uh, this part is new schools. So we've got a bunch of new schools. So we can give quick, quick. um, Yeah, quick overview. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, quick overview. I won't give the whole school breakdown. Uh, we might at some other time. But in this case, the Agasha Alchemist is all about chucking your potion at the other guy. So it's all ranged kata. It's, it's a pure, pure Shigenja school, but it's got all these ranged kata and curriculums. That does sound about right for the Akasha Alchemists. Um, yeah, we, I remember we were talking before, but when we just had the, the lists coming out about the Asahina Envoy, uh, because it was kind of, do we you know, do the Asahina, do we really need like another pure courtier? for the crane but this is this sounds much more like they're actually a non-magical priest than even though they're technically a courtier school they still have a very different vibe which sounds like they they fit very they fit in a different niche than than you were worried about when it just looked like oh another courtier they still are another courtier and crane does need non-courtier schools i mean yeah, they're they're eking towards fifty percent courtier schools. It's it's getting a little bit uh, up there, but uh, it does play differently. So so that's good. Hopefully, we'll get some in in future some non courtiers in future books. Many rituals have very magic ops. So even though these are non magical, no invocations, nothing, nothing. Uh, magic about them because these get these bonus ops on rituals um the courtiers can get these magical effects through the ops on on their rituals uh where somebody else doing it might not be able to get so many ops so they get then they can use those ops also to do social things instead so you know you can do magic or you can do courtiering with it. Anyway, let's see. Uh, Ashikin Initiates, uh, practically speaking, this is a Phoenix school. Uh, though technically you could do it um, in another thing, in another school. The school lets you change your, res- your dice r- results, okay, which is very powerful. Uh, this is the school you want 
if you have terrible dice luck, because you can change what the dice say, so, um, uh, and you don't, it doesn't have to be just in inversions that you change your dice luck. So that is actually really, uh, really relevant if you're one of those people who just don't have dice luck. Yeah, if you just keep rolling blanks all the time, then here you go. This is what this is for you. Uh, I like the idea of the Kaito Spirit Seeker because the body here becomes effectively a living shrine which I think is very interesting. And it is uh, an aspect of some Japanese religion as well, where you know, the whole point of being a medium is you get possessed. Um, so this ends up being a bushy slash shugenja school with a few curriculum access to shuji. So you don't get shuji by default, but you get some access to them uh, through the curriculum. Just a couple, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, but, and, it, and it seems to be a lot of courtesy roles to get their stuff done instead of theology so it's i presume that they're asking asking the spirits nicely to do things so that does sound quite an interesting way of doing things yeah with that high courtesy you kind of like you know go bushy right i mean you need the high courtesy to do the spirit thing but uh you don't have the shuji to take advantage of it, so in in a social um, setting, anyway, it, it's yeah. a little in a social yeah. setting, yeah. Okay, let's see. Uh, for Caillou architects, these are fun in style, you know, building buildings, modifying the terrain. But it would take a really creative player to make use of it, or a GM who is setting a campaign around a home base. Which yeah, some campaigns work for Absolutely. Uh, it's just not common in rokugan and in, in l5r games that i've seen but you totally can i recommend that if you are a gm and you have a caillou architect and you don't plan on having them living in a base where they get to modify the base all the time and make it super fun maybe let their ability help out a shuji that grant uh, obscuring terrain. Uh, there's a number of Suji that grant terrain and ops that grant terrain. So if you could have their ability, let them modify that, work at, work in conjunction with times they do that, then it gives them a little bit more oomph uh, that they wouldn't have if they don't get to have a base. Um, they also play very priest-like, non-magical priest-like too, even though the name is more science to us because you would very much be able to they have a lot of the same rituals that other things do and you can set up this terrain to be holy ground to you could potentially even make it like an area where it can connect to other worlds you could you know it, it's what the gm lets you get away with so. well i mean when when you think about it there is when we're, when the japanese were building things there was a lot of taking account of the spiritual influences and auspicious directions and kanso which is basically the japanese equivalent of feng, feng shui for example that gets built into built into literally um the architecture a lot. So that does make sense for a Caillou architect to be semi-religious. Um, slightly more, slightly more than semi-religious would be your Kitsu Realm Wanderer. And that sounds pretty awesome. Uh, so Shikenja Bushi, 
but with some privileged invocations, uh, invocations that come with the curriculum. And there uh, seems to be uh, someone be you know, buffing the party when they're invoking other spirit realms and also doing, also doing stuff with terrains. So, so that sounds like a, an interesting combo. Let's see. Uh, the Moshi Sun Sentinel is a, another Shigenjibushi. They're really big on them in this, and, and that used to be something we would say, oh, you couldn't have Shigenjibushi in the same person. Um, they have privileged access only to fire invocations, not all, all invocations. Um, there is lots and lots of kata in the curriculum. Uh, which means that this particular school would be very, very militant if you followed the school path. This is definitely fighting you as opposed to casting spells on you most of the time. Yeah, there was a line someone was saying that they're expecting sun priests and they got paladins. This sounds like <laughs> sun sentinels. Yeah. So, Shashura Shadow Weavers. So, this is a Shiginja Bushi Shinobi. Busy, busy lads. But... It has all the shuji in the curriculum as well. So it says it only has invocations, rituals, and kata. And, of course, ninjutsu, because ninjutsu is in curriculum for everybody who has that shinobi tag a lot. So it has a ton of ninjutsu in the curriculum. But all the shuji are in curriculum as well. So they are have the most access, I would say, of anybody to a vast amount of Everything, <laughs> you know, free free access. Um, so I don't know why they gave so much, but, you know, there you are. These are night ninja. Um, they, you know, swirl the night around them and they sneak around in their pocket of night. Um, it's more terrain management, setting up obscuring. There's loads of ninjutsu in the curriculum as well. So this is just, if you want all the techniques all the time, this is your school. And finally, we have the Utaku Stable Master. Uh, everyone wondering what the Utaku men are getting up to? This is apparently it. Uh, I, I, I suspect it's not quite so limited. But it's a Bushi Sage, which means that they have some mystical abilities, but they're not Shikenja. I think this is the first... Is this the first Rokugani Sage? Because Sage was normally attached to Gaijin. But, no, so these are going to be the Horse Masters. These are the people who actually look after the horses in the Unicorn. But... It's not limited to horses, or at least it doesn't specify. So if you happen to have a riding elephant, then these are the people you might want to be around. Yeah, I mean, their their ability lets you summon a horse. Well, summon a mount, but it doesn't say what kind of mount. So you just summon a mount if you're on the beach and, you know, a dolphin shows up and you could go riding off. I mean... You Blue whale. You're a stable man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's. Um, I'm sure that will not be abused in any way whatsoever by any any players. <laughs> uh, they do get some invocations, water and air. Uh, they don't have shuji access, but they do get some in curriculum. So that's that could be a bit of a limitation. Yeah, it has. Unlike the shadow weaver, which has all the shuji. This only has a couple shuji, very few. And so that really hurts this school because this is not a it's not a big magic-y school and not a big fighty school. So so this is also not a t 
Yeah, this is also not a big talkie school either. So, so you you gotta work it. <laughs> I think it's one of those things you have to see how it works in play. But thing is, it's all very new. It's it, you know who knows what it actually feels like when you actually play it. But I think I think I, I like the idea. It, it's all it's all down to whether or not it it the mechanics fit the the feel of it and all that kind of stuff. So, those are the new schools. That's nine of them. If your GM will give you a bear mount, this is awesome. Because you can ride around on your bear. <laughs> and the bear can take care of your enemies. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what you want. <laughs> so there are yet more cre- uh, character creation bits and bobs. So we've got some distinctions, passions, anxieties, and adversities. Not necessarily in that order now. I think about it. And new heritage table, heritage table as well, and some weapons. So the distinctions are you get famously kind, portentous birth, and uh, talented herbalist, which are cool. There are passions for bathing, festivals, kabuki, kudo, which is the uh, archery as a meditation, and religious study. So lots of different interesting things you can be your character can can find relaxation through. Yep. The as a note, the fa- new famously kind distinction is a famously, uh, so you, it's mm. one you can get a high glory. Yes, you have sufficiently high glory. Uh, anxieties are conspiracy. If you want to be a conspiracy nut, uh, omen of bad luck, and uncleanliness and vanity. And then it has a set of adversities of people with elemental deficiencies, which is kind of like because an approach is kind of a a systematic thing, like fire is creative and provocative or um, water is flexible friendly you know if you have an elemental deficiency in that thing it it means that you are the opposite um this would be a good way to play many variations of it but this is one way that rokugan would explain something like potentially a a non-neurotypical person is that they've got an elemental deficiency in a in a certain element it's a Rokugani way of depicting that, if that makes sense. <laughs> but I'll admit I haven't looked at it. But uh, what's what's your opinion on this new heritage table? Uh, I, I would say that a lot of the records here are just um, switching rings, you know, from one ring to another. And Phoenix is so stacked in fire anyway... Uh, that you can kind of pick your own ring because it overflows. Um, I would say overall, it's not a great heritage table. You, you'd do better if you're rolling on the base table, but you're welcome to like look if you want to. It's fine. <laughs> it depends how much you want to flip those rings, I guess. Yeah, if you want to change your starting build. Okay. Uh, let's see. New weapons. We've got... A sun axe, a shakujo, which is the staff with the little ring deals on it. Yeah, that's used a lot by priests. They they use those a lot. The old styles of katana, tachis and ujikatanas, and a whip. Uh, the new styles of swords are inferior to katana, so 
it's hard to figure out why you would might want those other than style points. Yeah, I mean, one could. I mean, Yuji Katana literally was like the forerunner to the standard katana. So, but the, the tachi was a whole different sword for a whole different use. The tachi was really f- for use from horseback, and then that kind of developed into the uji katana, and then the katana. So, I mean, it's one of those things. If because the very next thing we're going to be looking at, the next section is clan swords. Most of those are old swords, so it's entirely possible you want those stat blocks there because you might find old swords, and that might become important. So, yep, indeed. So, yep, the next session is clan swords, as you as you said. Uh, many of these lack razored edge, but uh, that was confirmed to be a mistake from from Max. So we know that it, they should have had razor's edge for any of these that didn't. Hmm. So big list. Here we go. We've got uh, the crab sword Chikara, which is just like the old lore. It's unbreakable. It has an in, all of these have an inversion inside it. Okay. Um, so this the crab sword can basically make yourself stick in time and um, essentially resurrect you from the dead. To be honest, uh, it, it can undo anything that came back in between, which is um, odd. Well, you know, we'll talk a little bit about inversions. So uh, the next one is the crane sword. Um, it is uh, like the old uh, old lore as well, though it's kind of even less deadly than a regular uji katana, which is weird. Okay. Um, it has a rank one inversion of in it, and it actually has the weakest, in my opinion, rank one inversion. Uh, in that it just lowers, effectively, in a duel or conflict only, it lowers the next TN by one. Flavor-wise, it lets you see how to finish somebody, but since it only does it in a conflict where you are fighting the person you are finishing, but I always love the flavor of Shukujo, so, you know, you can't take that away. (laughs) Anyway, there's my salt. (laughs) I quite like that the dragon sword is not, in fact, a sword, because... That's that's the dragon for you. But if you figure out the koan, you get a rank three inversion that essentially forces the target into the void ring for all their rolls. Which I guess you could... I can see how the, that can be used against someone if you know they're not very good at void. We have the, the lion sword, shorty, victory. Uh, it's, just a, it's just a standard soldier's touchy because as we know... Um, Akodo broke his previous one because it, it had done damage to his brother, Fuleng. It's a standard uh, soldier's tatty, but deadlier than Shukujo, which is the, the crane sword. It does a rank four inversion, which allows you to take additional turns without your opponent being aware. So you're presumably doing that anime thing where you're zipping around the battlefield, kind of vroom, 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 and then back where you started and everyone goes what happened and then oh no and people fall over so that sounds yep, uh, pretty much horribly dangerous it's a good thing that's it, that's it, kept it and lion don't get to play with it because <laughs> it's horribly dangerous shouldn't be allowed yeah that's a very good sword uh 
let's see, the Phoenix Sword Ofushike uh, has the same story as Old Lore. It's uh, pretty low damage Tai Chi. Uh, not as good as Lion Sword either. Um, it lets you breathe underwater, which is in the story. And it has a rank one inversion in it that communicates with the spirits in the blade. But since the spirits in the blade are a bunch of previous uh, champions of the Phoenix who know what's going on and can advise you. That's actually pretty good, even if it's just the rank one inversion. And possi- possibly Shiba himself is in there, which is kind of important. Um, breathing underwater may sound a little random. And when I first saw it, that sounds really random. But actually, it's because Shiba rather famously uh, was in love with a, a water princess. And she made the sword, so he could visit her. Yes, and that makes absolute sense. It's like, you know, you want to come down and see me, I'll just build that into your sword, because otherwise you'll drown, and that's not my thing at all. So, And it actually keys into this rather romantic story, so I love it. Yep. So, And then the Scorpion Clan sword, Itsuwari, uh, has pretty new lore, as I understand it. Um, it has been built built to kill the Scorpion Clan champion. So it is uh, the Scorpion Clan kill switch, <laughs> which I liked. It's very deadly, and it autocrits the champion, and it basically uh, does a, a D&D blink spell effect with its aversion. So it lets you, like, out of phase with reality, though it tires you out. So, so if they're about to crit you, you just blink out, and then you're, yeah. you're not there. The name, by the way, means lie, just to be clear. <laughs> So maybe that's not what it does at all, but, you know. <laughs> Who knows? It pretends to crit the, the champion. And they go, oh, no, I have died. Uh, but I actually haven't, all according to Keikaku. Um, the unicorn sword is Hayai, which means quick. Uh, seems to have new lore attached to it, because I don't know if we knew much about the ancestral unicorn sword. And a lot of the stuff about the unicorn hadn't been established, so new, possibly. It's a scimitar with razor-edged. Uh, it just... If, Destroys stuff and does base damage five on people, which sounds pretty horrendous. So it sounds quite mm-hmm. powerful. Its inversion basically, you know, does a shattering blow. So if you want to knock down that wall, bang, it, it destroys the wall. It doesn't do a huge amount of damage to people, but it's really good at taking out inanimate objects. Okay, that's handy. Uh, yeah, you can almost imagine it's it's kind of like we are nomadic people. You know, we wander around, you know, and, and we occasionally raise cities. And the city's walls are really annoying if you're on a horse. So we need a sword that deals with that. Kunshu, which is the ancestral sword of the Hante, and terribly important, and is currently in the possession of the Yogo. It's a Jian, damage six, deadliness six. It can remove all effects from someone, including raise them from the dead for a round, which is a rank five inversion. So uh, that's not a sword you want to have corrupted. No, it, yeah, it can it can undead someone for a round. So. <laughs> that is pretty neat. What do we? And there was one sword which is also in the list, but uh, you're probably not going to get your hands on it because this is Kido, which is the lost sword of Shinjo, and it's somewhere in the Shadowlands. Right. So the unicorn sword, uh, Hayae was the Ujikai's sword, and they gave it to Shinjo. You know, the, the leader of them who became the Moto gave it to Shinjo to say, we are we are a shared people. And uh, Shinjo gave the Ujikai leader, the Moto, 
Kiro. And that was passed down through all the family in the Moto line for generations. And then the Moto decided to go charging off into <laughs> Shadowlands to go fight Fulang. And that went so terribly well. So that's the new lore on those swords. Let's see. And so more new stuff. Good new stuff. Uh, there's new spells and rituals. Uh, in air, there is a dream painter, which lets you see into controlled dreams. There is messenger chikushudo, which allows you to summon an animal that will take a message for you. And a uh, fading dream, which makes others forget you were there. Very handy if you messed up. <laughs> I just thought, yeah, he's kind of, um, okay, after that fumble, I'm just going to quickly, no one saw that, right? No one saw what? I don't know. Uh, fire, you have Amaterasu's gaze, which makes a ray of sunshine. Ah. Uh, fires of purity, which can set a circle of fire around someone to protect them. Uh, heart of Lady Sun, which is an orb of flame to smite all tainted beings in rage. Fireball! I mean, uh, <laughs> Pretty Heart much. of Lady Sun. <laughs> Let's see. In Earth, there's Bonds of the Realms. Uh, that is a... Uh, debuff and strike at creatures of a guest at realm. So it's like, I think you're a gawky, so I'm going to try this and, and it'll debuff if you got it right. Emboldened steed, uh, rejuvenates and heals your horse while you're riding it. That's for all those stable masters. Guardian of the secret gate. This is the quintessential kitsu spell that makes an ancestral spirit come and fight for you to help you. Uh, we also have water, which uh, you sort of have fluid shadows, which cast shadows around a position. That sounds a very Chaucero uh, thing. Path of Beasts, which gives yourself um, animal powers of some description. And Reign of 1,000 Lotuses, which is to mend everyone around a target position, which I think is going to make you very popular, if you can do that one. <laughs> Yep, and then there's uh, a, f a bunch of rituals, um, not too many. There's a marriage ritual. Uh, I like that it like confirms new intentions. So if you do the ritual right, you do know that everybody who's getting married needs to approve of being married when you do it. Um, there's a dance ritual to remove strife. Uh, there's a lovely protection ritual for babies that makes them immune to all kinds of bad effects for between the ages of zero and four, and a funeral ritual, body sacred and not decaying in order to like prepare it for cremation, and a moon cultist ritual. That's going to be one of the big things that people have been looking forward to in Celestial Realms is Ishikan and Inversions, which was a big thing. This is void magic, which is a big thing in the old 5R, and people are going to really be interested in how this all works. The law stuff is very interesting. The way Void is described, I think, is just that little tiny bit different from the way Void is described. It feels way closer to the nothing than it used to. Maybe that's just my reading of it, but it just felt a little bit more like the nothing. But still, nothing and everything. So that was interesting. Um, uh, the, the big change that I was not expecting is that being able to use inversions does not necessarily come with 
learning how to use invocations. So you can be an Ishiken, but not a Shugenja, in theory. And they have some stuff on what happens if you're a, a peasant and you're discovered to have this kind of magic. What happens if you're a samurai and the political implications of those. And also the kind of scary things that can happen if you're an untrained Ishiken and why the Phoenix would really quite like you to be a trained Ishiken if all possible. Uh, so the mechanics of it, it's void plus theology. If you hit the TN with your successes, then you can look at the other symbols. So you can use opportunities as normal, if you like. You can also, in addition to or instead of, you can actually use blank dice, which can be used for magnitude effects, which is a, a, a new thing. Uh, however, if you keep three or more, then you're going to be distorting space and creating something permanent and strange in that area. So something to, that's something to keep in mind. It's kind of like keeping strife on invocations. It can cause you problems. There are effects for like keeping one blank and keeping two blank. You get those if you also keep three or more, which might be relevant because normally that's stuff to do with durations normally the plus one and plus two are duration stuff and if, and if you're just straight making it permanent then it doesn't really matter if you change the duration but who knows things might change in the future there might be new inversions that come up later with have different effects uh, strife symbols on these dice don't they're not actually strife if you're doing an inversion they are fatigue that hit you at the end of the roll so that makes a big difference in the way you you're going to be looking at the dice and looking at what you're keeping and what you're not keeping. So that sounds really interesting and a really interesting kind of way of using the dice in yet another way. And especially using blanks, which for people who roll badly, they're your bane. And then, oh no, they're actually useful. So that's cool. Yep. Inversions I found were very mixed bag. So at first level, you know, rank one inversions, you have this, uh, you know, you have both the ability to, you know, do, you know, inter-party communication telepathically, which is cool, but, you know, a little, not huge. And this uh, set of TN to one that I kind of talked about with Shukujo to let's do a whole Galaxy Quest Omega-13 style event <laughs> where you could go back and reverse time for 13 seconds, um, including, you know, un, un, undoing that lethal blow or anything. Both of those are rank one. Um, at rank five, they range from just literally just doing your theology damage to somebody and damage to somebody, which is very small to literally resurrecting someone from the dead permanently. I mean, it's just how powerful these effects are going to be in their description is entirely up to the GM, even when there are mechanics, because they are constrained by narrative, by describe, you know, by description, they're all over the place. Uh, if you're just using raw, that amount of variation between two different rank ones is is really wild. And uh, you need to think seriously about 
what inversions you're going to let your ishinkan have and when you let them have it. Um, they have to be approached one at a time. Mm. I, have to, I have to say, we talk about the variability of how, how powerful these things are. That thing that lowers your target number to one, if, inversion, right? That's either only, only lowering it by one because target number two is really, really common. So that's not very powerful. But some target numbers can be all the way up into the tens. And if you turn that to a one, that's enormous. So that's really situational on is that good or is that bad? Or is it, yeah, that's really that, – that sounds like it's going to need a lot of GM kind of massaging. And, and You have to make them work and decide how they are going to work. So just, just be aware. <laughs> that's all. Don't say you can have a rank one inversion and go. <laughs> you don't know what you're getting then. It should be important to note that these – Although they are techniques, they cost 6 XP, not 3 XP, which is a, a big difference as well. So that's another thing to keep in mind. Uh, there is a section after that, which is building adventures. Uh, so talking about, okay, so there are cultist groups out there. Here's how you might want to make your own. How do you think that went? What, what did you feel about that? Yeah, so I thought it was interesting. A lot of people are looking forward to this. Um, it was okay. It's mostly fluff. However, it does make good cult. <laughs> All right. To, uh, and, and so this one really struck me. Um, it is good for making a decent religious group as... Ads done like a, a, a religious group that has been around for hundreds of years. Like if you want a new religion, religion, that's I mean that's how the section is formulated as if if you had new religion, religion, uh, because it has you know what role is this fulfilling in society and what are their symbols and what are their you know locations you know that sort of thing. Those are fine for established religions, right? Yeah, yeah, because that's that's not really what you think of by the word cult is it right that's not the definition of a cult so a cult by by definition uh you know and i yes this sent me down the rabbit hole of researching what makes a cult what are cults needs needs a single person needs a really charismatic leader i mean that's that's what a cult needs is is this charismatic leader which they don't even talk about here what kind of person would be a cult leader or a person that a cult forms out even though there is one in the example that they give of a cult they don't talk about how to make that how to make or what should be the characteristics of a cult leader which is like key um there's so every cult needs a charismatic leader around whom the cult centers, and then who potentially, if it's a dangerous cult, uh, exploits the cult members, to be honest, for various reasons. I mean, that's, but even a regular non-dangerous cult has this charismatic leader. The other thing that a cult needs is what people who study this stuff is, is it called an area of heterodoxy, which means some key belief that does not conform to 
the social norm, which would be the orthodoxy, uh, into which the, the cult members become indoctrinated. So if you're looking at a cult, you want to look for that. You want to figure out, or creating your own, you want to figure out what is, most Rokugan thinks this, but these people think this other thing. And then all of the rest of the beliefs and symbols and stuff kind of grow out of this area of, of heterodoxy and this, this leader. So, uh, you know, they don't include that. If you follow just their directions, you'll get a perfectly decent established religious group. But uh, if you want cult, you might want to think about these other, other things as well. Also has in there uh, creating supernatural encounters and story hooks uh, for making spirits or that. It's all, it's all good, fun, GM ideas stuff. So good stuff. There's also uh, new mechanics because we always want new mechanics. The new titles, Bond with a Spirit, which is it gives you a rank one invocation to a non Shigenja in curriculum. Uh, the title reflects uh, the title ability reflects strife fatigue back on your opponent, which is always makes you happy. I'm pretty sure. Moon Cultist title who um, gives you. Uh, rank one and two water invocations, so solid. Um, and the title ability diminishes one of. Is that an opponent's ring to advance one of yours? Yes. Yeah, so it's like I'll debuff your ring to add it to my ring. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a, a demeanor, which is uh, one of those things you add to NPCs. Righteous. So someone who has, yep. has righteous, righteous irritation, that kind of thing. Yeah, that's our masking is righteous irritation. So. Talking about righteousness, um, there is, just like the other books have had, uh, Tenet of Bushido they spoke about. Uh, this one speaks about the Tenet of Bushido of righteousness, which they are defining kind of as placing the value of society over one's own desires, either personally or in the sense of value for uh, a loved one, things that you want, like, over yourself. Um, so it was a little vague on how they wrote this, but my understanding is, like, righteousness might involve sparing a criminal if the act the criminal did was a response to an injustice or it might, you know, or was, um, if it would be harmful to the society to prosecute the criminal, you might use righteousness to spare them. Okay. But, uh, it might also involve executing someone you love if that loved one is harming society. Um, so it's, it's like, I don't, they tie into a lot of the other um, tenets of Bushido, and they write a lot about it. But for me, I had a hard time trying to sense what they were getting at. Um, but my understanding that if you kind of took justice and selflessness there and combine them, that fits all of the examples that, that they use. So, and trying to make it different from the other tenants. So, that's everything in that book, which is an awful lot. 
Yeah, it sounds like it's a really good, solid book that people are going to want if they have any interest in magic, the other realms, and especially if you can. So, yeah. So I'm going to – I think we should go through uh, – now we're kind of breaking up. I think we should go through and do the Wheel of Judgment stuff. There is an accompanying adventure, obviously, uh, which is the standard format. Uh, this time it is Wheel of Judgment, which I quite like because this, this is the adventure you, you bring out after the TPK you accidentally did. Uh, and, and, and it's kind of like, okay, so you all died. So what happens next is – which I, I think and is just like, what? amazing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's not giving anything away. That's right on the back of the cover. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, now, how, how, does it, how, how does it come out for you when you went, went through it? When I went through it, uh, it is – well, obviously, you can't say much for RPG modules. You don't want to give it away. Um, I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was hilarious. Um, it's a very on-the-rails adventure. Um, if you are pissed off about – running on rails uh you will be pissed off about that but uh for this kind of adventure it, it's solid uh i i enjoyed it a lot things about how hilarious it is there's a new adversity in there called missing head <laughs> that sounds amazing you know, just in case you happen happen to be missing that part of you while adventuring what happens uh, uh, yeah it's hilarious uh, it's clearly the kind of adventure where that is a thing that could happen Yes, it is. You can die so many times in this campaign and just laugh every time it happens. So, um, yeah, this is not next one. This one would probably you know, be a really good one to run with sufficient amounts of alcohol. It comes with a beautiful two-sided map of Phoenix Lands and Celestial Realms, which we described, the Celestial Realms. Very frameable. Uh comes with all the tokens we've come to expect with people from different clans and different kind of beings for you to use with your realmic adventuring. So all the standard RPG stuff. It, it's, it's a good one. The only problem I have with these maps is, is somehow you need to frame both sides because they're both, both sides are normally just absolutely gorgeous. Uh, as is also the, the, the trend there is a downloadable supplement for, for Wheel of Judgment and, and, and thus also Celestial Realms. So there are two schools, the Mazoku Enforcer tradition, which is an interesting one. So a Ronin could be doing this or some kind of secret organization that hunts evil, like the, the Falcon clan, for example. A Shadow Hunter or a priest of Emao. So that sounds like a Interesting, fun set of things to do. And the Champions of Days Gone tradition, which is a bit controversial, which is a very strong archery school. So this is for people from the long ago where the samurai were mounted archers more than they were frontline infantry. So they are very, very good with bows. And some people were kind of saying that they there there is some discussion about whether they thought it was a good thing but if you if you're dealing with like returned spirits who have that school because they were from you know the early days of say the the days of the shining prince 
then that's the skill that they would have. So I think that's a, an interesting idea that they've got there. Uh, might steal their ability for the wasp. Yeah, it's it's a it's a good wasp ability if you're going to do it. It's very, very strong. Um, I think both of these schools can be repurposed from the um, what they're used for and and turn to other things if you want to make a school that do, does either of these things in your in your Roku God. You might, I, I don't think there's any real problem with Masoko's enforcers uh, to integrate into a campaign because it's anti-Shadowlands specific. You know, in terms of balance, I'd say like Centipede was stronger, so it's not a big deal. Um, that Champion of Days gone, you might want to just think about it before you incorporate it too much in, especially if you've got uh, a bow-oriented person of another school, because it, it's is super strong. Yeah. I mean, if, if you want to use that as a wasp technique, you could simply say that the wasp kept that tradition and that's why they're so good at it. You know, uh, there's also a title, which is spirit hunter. So if you've got a school that doesn't have any rituals access, then um, this is a little bonus title that they could get. Uh, the title ability reduces the target number of their attack and scheme actions, targeting otherworldly beings by one to a minimum of one. So that's just a little bonus for people who are going out and hunting otherworldly beings. Which is certainly a way that um, L5R can be run. It's a very common way if you, you're your troop of whoever you are is running around hunting stuff. Then you can give everybody in your party that. But that's everything. So that was a lot. We've been going for a while. Um, we want to do a call out to our uh, sister podcast at Patreons. Uh, the Court Game Networks, including the L5R RLCG podcast, which I believe is starting up again this week, and our two actual play role-playing podcasts, Crimson Gold and Agonies, and Fortune and Strife. Our content is funded by the Community Discord Patreon, which supports our editing costs, as well as our website hosting, where we have lots of long-term information, like homebrewed schools and role-playing game resources, all sorts of things like that. And for our patrons, we have special bonus content like Adventure Seeds, early access to podcasts and other such things, and we'll be organizing some other things in the near future. I'm still waiting for you to host a 47 Ronin watch party. Yeah, I keep... There's, I thought someone else was going to organize it, but we need to discuss that. We'll, we'll work something out at some point. Thank you very much to our newest patrons who have joined us. Uh, Donald, Wal Donald Weller joined us August 14th. Charles Mink joined us August 21st. And Robert Lally joined us August 23rd. So thank you very much. You can find us on our website, courtgamespod.com. You can find us on Twitter at twitter.com slash courtgamespod. And on Patreon at patreon.com slash courtgames. But that's it for this week. This is Kikita Kaori. May the fortunes favor you. And I've been Korvar. And until we meet again, keep your jade handy.
with the coach. D20 Radio, where gamers roll.